The United Methodist People Podcast with Rev. Dr. Brad Miller, Episode 21, a roundtable conversation about faithful and inclusive, the Bible, sexuality, and the United Methodist Church with author-presenter Rev. Rob Fuquay, producer Susan Wilkie Fuquay, and communicator Rev. Dr. Dan Gangler. What stands out to us in the pages of the Bible and what just sort of fades away and they they don't jump out at us as issues that we're going to get up in arms about. Hi, this is Reverend Dr. Mark Holland from Mainstream UMC, where we are working hard to find common ground for the United Methodist Church moving forward. You're connected to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, strengthening the connection through conversation and commentary. Welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People Podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Our purpose is to provide a resource to the people of the United Methodist Church to help achieve our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You can connect with resources, links, a complete transcript, and the United Methodist People podcast community at unitedmethodistpodcast.com slash 21. I'm an elder serving an urban congregation in the inner city of Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm also a believer in telling the story of United Methodist People because we have good news to tell about our church. However, the news in the United Methodist Church has not always been good in the last year or so. Indeed, it has been challenging and divisive, to say the least. As we record this in February of 2020, the protocol seems to be in place for a new era of United Methodism with multiple expressions about to come about very soon. Why is this? It really comes down to one thing. It is the understanding and the interpretation of the Holy Bible over the half dozen or so biblical passages pertaining to homosexuality. The urgency and the relevance of the matter before all of us has caused many, if not most, clergy to scramble looking for resources to help better inform our own understanding of scriptures which relate to matters of human sexuality, in particular to the rights and perspectives of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, LGBTQ community. In response to the aching need for a better understanding of the Bible, sexuality, and the matters facing the United Methodist Church, Rev. Rob Fuquay and his wife, Susan Wilkie Fuquay, started a class to meet about this need in their local church, St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. The resources Rob and Susan developed for that class are now available to the church as a whole as a series of six video lessons, and it's called Faithful and Inclusive, The Bible, Sexuality, and the United Methodist Church. This resource stands in that gap. In episode 21 of the United Methodist People podcast, I was privileged to enter into a roundtable conversation with Reverend Rob Fuquay, the author and presenter of Faithful and Inclusive, and Susan Wilkie Fuquay, the producer of Faithful and Inclusive, along with Hall of Fame United Methodist communicator, Reverend Dan Gangler. Rob Fuquay has been the senior pastor of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis since 2011. He's a graduate of Pfeiffer College and Candler School of Theology at Emory University. 
He is the author of a number of books and small group resources, including The God We Can Know and Which Way, Lord. Susan Wilkie Fuquay is a United Methodist Christian educator, and for more than 25 years, Susan has been directly involved with Disciple Bible Study. She co-edited the youth version of Disciple. She was a Disciple trainer for national training events for many years and has facilitated more than 30 Disciple groups. Her mother and father are Bishop Richard and Julia Wilkie, who started Disciple Bible Study. Dan Gangler is a member of the United Methodist Association of Communicators Hall of Fame. He's now retired and living in Indianapolis after 38 years in pastoral and communication ministries telling the story of the United Methodist Church. He is the chair of the United Methodist Reconciling Ministries Network of Indiana. In our roundtable conversation in episode 21 of the United Methodist People podcast, the four of us discuss the faithful and inclusive resource in depth, including its origins, its purpose, who it is for, and how it can be used to serve the needs of local churches and clergy. Most importantly, we talked about the Bible in its understanding, its interpretation, and its application to the local church in the matter of human sexuality and how it is possible to be both faithful and inclusive. We pick up the conversation with Rob talking about how the Bible came to be at the center of this dispute in our church. You you would like to think that the Bible is more of a source of hope than problem, um, but that's that's the confounding element of Scripture, that the very source of hope... And our key instrument for for knowing God's will for our lives is also such a a source of controversy and perhaps never more so than it is right now over the issue of human sexuality. Uh, Let me just kind of give a little background on the resource and and how it came about. So we, we know the reality of last February, a year ago this week, and what happened in St. Louis with the special called session. Um, you know, history and, and hindsight is always 2020, and you can see it clearly. But the problem with that conference is that everybody came with competing plans. And the makeup of that conference was based on the delegations elected for 2016, where there was a heavy slant toward the traditional side. And uh, given the makeup of the church and the way it looked in the delegation at the time, uh, it's not surprising that we came about with, with what happened. I think the surprise came with the reaction to it. And from, from what I've heard from many of our central conferences, uh, that they were told that this was pretty much a non-issue, that it, it's, it's only the delegates who show up at general conference who are emotional and passionate about this matter. And seeing and hearing the reaction in the United States primarily, I think, surprised a lot of people. And many churches, like St. Luke's and others, uh, had such a quick and swift reaction that it has been very clear we can't go on like this. And then you have what happened with our annual conferences around the country and the change of delegates for 2020 and how it's clear that that's going to reshape things in a significant manner, that it's caused all of the sides to try to say, how do we work this out and figure it out? So in the initial months after St. Louis, as I addressed what happened at General Conference here on a Sunday morning, and then having uh, a number of new people in the church who would not have been here the last time I talked about Uh, homosexuality in the Bible uh, on a Sunday morning, um, we decided to do a class that would look at what the Bible says and how would people who are on the more progressive side of that issue, and and I'm not saying you're you're necessarily identified as a progressive, you would lean on the progressive side. So most people would say, I'm a centrist, but on this issue, I, I lean progressive. How would we understand that defending it from a biblical perspective. Well, we had such a huge turnout here. We had about 300 people over the course of three weeks. And then in some of the meetings around the country of United Methodist gathering to say, what do we do now in light of St. Louis? 
one of the things we were realizing is so there was a lot of fear, so much fear from people going, I'm just scared about having to deal with this in my church. And we're not talking about it. Hearing from lay people who were saying, we're just not discussing it in our church. And with a feeling that something might come down to individual churches having to like take a vote over which way we're going to go this way or that way. There's just a, a lot of hesitation, and what do we do? Real sense of a heavy hand. Out oh, there, wasn't it? just a real absolutely. ominous feeling, a cloud, <clears throat> right? Doom or gloom or whatever it was. So Susan actually went to a, a gathering. I went to a gathering in May at Church of the Resurrection. Susan went to their leadership institute in September that was devoted to this matter and to this topic. And uh, I think they had people by annual conference kind of meet together as a part of that gathering. Susan came home and just shared that so many people were, were looking for helpful resources so that they can begin sharing it with their churches. We had already been talking about taking what happened here in that class in May and turning that into a resource. And so we got to work pretty quick putting this together and, uh, and then getting it out to churches, stretching the three classes into six sessions because there were six distinct topics that we dealt with. So <laughs> that's a long way of getting around to your question about the Bible. Um, one of the things we, we talk about in the DVD is helping understand how do we all as individuals come at the Bible? Yes. There's a lot that shapes us. Because we do come with our own with our own agendas, our own perspective, our own history, our own yep. cultural biases and situations. Many people are just flat out ignorant of it. Mm -hmm. And some people come with very distinctive approaches to it. And yep. maybe you can speak to that a little bit. For instance, about you know how we look at uh, Scripture prescriptive and descriptive, yep. so these type of things. Well, I think a good example is a phone call I just had 40 minutes ago with an older member of our church who um, listens a lot to certain uh, religious voices on television. Okay. And she just says, Rob, uh, gay marriage is wrong. If gay people want to get married, they can go down to the courthouse. They have those rights. We are allowing, uh, we're, we're basically saying to God, you have to support this. And this is, you know, it, it kind of went off from there. That's how it started. I said to this person, I said, well, you know, uh, the, the, we've come to a different place on a lot of issues than what the Bible says. I said, some, for some reason, I don't have anybody calling me saying they're going to leave the church because we have women in ministry yes. on the altar. Her answer was, well, well I don't know about that. <laughs> I have a real problem with this. And don't we all? There's something that shapes, I have a problem with this, I don't have a problem with this. Well, why is that? I mean, there are things we're not even conscious of or at least we don't spend a lot of time reflecting on them, that go into shaping what stands out to us in the pages of the Bible and what just sort of fades away. And they, they don't jump out at us as issues that we're going to get up in arms about. So we look at that. We look at the Old Testament passages of controversy. Uh, we look at how culture influences Scripture. How did the culture of the time influence the writing and the telling of the stories and through history. Just an example, it? just a whole completely different view of the role of women in gender roles is huge Absolutely. to take into consideration. Well, t take the issue of violence. And violence, yes. The Bible does not have a hard time <laughs> connecting God to violence. And today, I don't know many Christians who would say, yeah, I don't have any problem with God condoning the bloodshed hmm. that you read about in Scripture. I mean, a lot of people say, yes, that that should disturb us. Well, why is that? Well, if you don't wrestle with the culture of the time and then understand our culture today, we probably miss the spiritual truths that are being communicated through the Scripture, which is the key part. So we do that. We look at the New Testament passages of controversy. And then we look at what I call the Jesus ethic of interpreting Scripture, because Jesus tips his hand quite a bit as, as he interprets Scriptures, either by direct teaching or by his actions. And what went into how Jesus interpreted the Torah and the Scriptures of his day, and what might that say to us? And then the last session is simply about looking at how the church 
is dealing with this matter now. Now, that makes the, the material dated. We're already looking at needing to update the resource with a, kind of an addendum that would say, okay, given where we are right now getting ready for another general conference here in 2020, what can we add to this? Um, so Yeah. Well, there's a lot of lot to unpack there and a lot to try to understand. And ultimately, we're talking about, for most folks, a matter of homosexuality. Right. And how often is that term homosexuality used in the Bible? Well, it depends on the the translation right. that you're talking about. So it doesn't even appear as a word in the Bible until the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Or at least it doesn't and actually I'm not correct on that. It doesn't it doesn't appear in our language until the 1800s. It's the RSV, I think, in 1946 that it appears as a word in direct translation in scripture. Point being, homosexuality, like the word heterosexuality, comes about in language to speak to sexual identity. That that this is a person's sexual nature and orientation. So that shows a big shift right there. That sexuality being identified apart from what you do, apart from action... Mm-hmm as the way we are made by God. And then it begins in, in the 20th century appearing in Scripture. And so, depending on translations, some use the word homosexual more than others. Many of the more modern translations are getting away from the word homosexual as a, as a tag right. for sexual identity. Um, so this is a modern is, issue. Is that there's been a evolution and right. transformation of language and of understanding. And yet, really, in terms of the sexuality issue that we're talking about here, uh, it's mentioned relatively few times in the Bible compared to lots of other things. Isn't that right? Well, sure. Absolutely. Maybe six or seven times? Right. That's right. You're, you're talking four primary places in the Old Testament, uh, three in the New seven places in the Bible as a whole. There is one place where Jesus speaks to um, sexual perversion without using words that have been identified in other places as homosexuality. Um, so possibly you could say eight, but that's it. Yeah. Now, that I've had this argument put to me. Um, Jesus doesn't talk about rape. Are you going to say Jesus was okay with rape? Mm-hmm. Well, of course not. So you can't really make an argument that says, well, based on the limited number of times that this is referenced, it's less important than others. We might say it's not emphasized as much, and there are reasons for that. That's different from saying it's not important or it's less important. So I don't particularly like going into that argument. Mm-hmm. But I, I do like at least keeping that in perspective with what is yeah. emphasized in the Bible and why might it not be more emphasized than it was. Part of what I'm getting at is how magnified these several verses are in terms of our discussion in the United Methodist right. Church and and culture at large, you know, through society and politics and everything else. It is a magnifying situation. And my old seminary professor at Garrett Evangelical, uh, Dr. Wolfgang Roth, would say, Miller, exegete the text. Right. So I just think for a minute or two, Rob, I'd like for us to get into the text to help people understand, because there's going to be people who say, you know, this whole thing about Lot and his, uh, you know, the men beating down his door yep. and yep. His, his daughters and all that kind of thing. Uh, what do you, okay. How do we deal with that? So let, let me begin and just kind of uh, share honestly and <laughs> confessionally. My thinking on this topic has changed in my ministry. Okay. When I was starting out in seminary, I would have fallen pretty far on the conservative side. The Bible's clear, isn't it? The Bible seems to be very clear. Why are we even having the conversation? Right. Well, that would be the argument. Yes. And it has some validity to it, and that's what the text says. Right. You know. Right. So I, I am not this uh, way out far-removed, liberal, out of touch with reality. I come from that place. My experience, first of all, of humanity began to challenge my understanding of the Bible. And then my digging into Scripture. 
started to change how I look at the Bible. So the story you're referencing, the four places, first of all, four places in the Old Testament that deal with it, Judges 19 and Genesis 19. Mm -hmm. Two stories that are very, very similar in nature to almost say that they're perhaps coming from the same event used separately from one another. But because of their similarity in this resource, we focus on Sodom and Gomorrah. The other two references are in the Holiness Code of Leviticus 18 and then in chapter 22. So take just the um, Sodom and Gomorrah story, Genesis 19. Uh, We know the power of it because words like sodomite, sodomy, come from this story. And, you know, the one thing that you take away from this story is the people in this story are just messed up. (laughs) This is a screwed up story. Well, if you think about it, there's a lot of messed up stuff in the Bible. That's exactly right. Now, part of the whole deal of the Bible is reconciliation. We get into the new covenant, the new way to reconcile all the messed up stuff. Bingo, bingo. the Old Testament and other in people's messed up lives. People who maybe haven't read the story. Which is what the church is supposed to be here to do. People get put together in their messed up up lives. I'm sorry about my little tangent here. Well, let's, you get let's, that let's dig into the messed up lies. So right. people who maybe don't know the story as well, or what they know of it is how it is handed to them, how it's interpreted for them already. Say, well, what I know about that story is homosexuality is the problem. These men in the town went to Lot's house and demanded that the men he was harboring inside, keeping his guest. Uh, were men that they wanted to rape. Okay, so this is this is a town made up of all homosexual men. <laughs> That's why it's it such an evil vile place. Decadence right, and right. Uncontrolled and chaos. So, so if that's the case, you kind of wonder, well, where did the babies in the town come from? Where did the little children come from? Yeah. Um, you begin to break the story apart. You go, okay, what is the thing that that Lot said to the men to try to appease them? Here, take my virgin daughters. First of all, what is this yeah. saying yeah, about the character nice. of Lot? Wow. Well. And why would he even make that offer yeah. if he knew that they were there simply to rape men? So you begin to say something, something doesn't add up that this is just a story condemning homosexuality. And you begin to understand the culture of the time and the fear of the stranger which is a violation of an important ethic of the Old Testament, the, the care and the welcome of the stranger in your midst. So they are fearful of the strangers who have been allowed into their town because Lot harbored them after the time when the gates were to be locked at night. Um, rape, of course, was a way of intimidating a, an enemy and oppressing an enemy. And then male dominance is a big issue in this. So you look at this story, you look at other references in the Old Testament, what does it always talk about when it mentions homosexuality? Men and men. Doesn't mention women and women. Is that because there's <laughs> lesbianism hasn't come about yet? Chances are this is focusing on the issue of male dominance. So bring, let's bring in another part that even precedes the Sodom and Gomorrah story, the one that's often referenced by people that marriage should be one man and one woman goes back to Genesis 1. And if you look at the reference, which marriage isn't used specifically in in Genesis 1, but what we have is a concept of how God intends for relationships to be. Why does God mean for a man to be with a woman? It is only mentioned in the context of procreation so that they can have children. Genesis is written not to explain the science of how things are the way they are, but to help understand why are things the way they are. Why do we have men? Why do we have women? It's for procreation. The covenant responsibility of ancient Israel was to produce future generations who would carry on the covenant promise. So the reason we have these different sexes is for procreation. So homosexuality threatens this idea. So you bring together that basic understanding and belief with the fear of the stranger and the ways in which culture would have intimidated people, you begin to look at this story and say, well, maybe it's not just the way it's always been told to me. So you go, well, Rob, that's your opinion. That's someone else's opinion. 
I say, okay, let's see what the Bible says about it. Look at all of the Bible's references to Sodom and Gomorrah, including Jesus' reference to the story. And it talks about the inhospitality. It talks about the abuse of a stranger. It talks about other appetites that were out of control in the town that God is judging. And you don't get the clear statement except one reference in the book of Jude that says it has something to do with what we might call homosexuality today. So just evaluate the Bible based on the Bible. One of the things I would share is that this resource then provides a process through the biblical interpretation, what's what exegesis means, and then also through some Q&A times and some moments of conversation for this to be processed. And I think that's a value of, of the resource here. Um, part of the value of, of any kind of resource is helping us learn and to take the next steps. And Susan, I'd like to ask you about the value of a resource like this, of a Bible study resource. And tell us a little bit about how this resource, Faithful Inclusive, is formatted uh, in terms of its sessions. And then you were the producer of this of this uh, resource. And a little bit about uh, about the power of small group resources, how they can be transformed. Yeah, right. Well, I have been such a long believer in disciple Bible study and in the value of reading the scripture and then coming together and learning a little bit through the video from what you might call a Bible expert or a scholar, and then taking your reading and the scholarship and then working in a small group of people that have done the same and and exploring together, sharing with each other, and coming to your own conclusion. And one of the basic premises of disciple Bible study was that people can actually read the scripture and and God can speak to them through the scripture. But the strongest power of the study, uh, I think, was the culmination of everything. It was the ability to not only read, but then to come together with people week after week and be honest and open and share your thoughts and feelings. And when we talked about this resource, my, my feelings were there are books people can read on their own. There are some, some videos, podcasts they can watch. But where is the resource that gives people information and then a chance to stop and process that with other people in a non-threatening, very safe environment, uh, one step at a time, not trying to convince anyone of anything, but giving them a place to, for the first time, for a lot of people, actually look at each scripture learn something about the culture, the history, the context, and then have some discussion with people they know in their church uh, and try to come up with, with understandings. So the power, what we've seen happen all across the country now with, with uh, emails that I'm receiving, but in our own church, was people that came in with, with quite a few different views. But the way this resource is presented, it is not... You need to think this way. Mm. This resource is presented where in each session there's at least three stopping points for discussion. And when the video, when it's when it's time to pause the video, you've just heard enough to have a good a good discussion. Then the discussion questions are on the screen, and with your small group of four to six people, it can be in a room with two hundred people. But you need to be at small tables mm-hmm. where people can have this discussion. Then there's two or three questions, and it doesn't say, why don't you think this way? It says, how do you feel about that? What do you think? And it gives people a chance to to try their own ideas out, a lot of people for the first time. What we have discovered is a lot of people have never talked about this. They really haven't. They've never really read these scriptures, and they've never been in a safe A lot of environment. assumptions have been made, haven't they? Yeah, they just yeah. assume what they heard on the news must be what it is, <laughs> or what they read in an article. But they really have never grappled with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah themselves. They've never really done it this way. They've never talked about other parts of scripture that they don't pay attention to anymore. But they, they just haven't thought about it, and that's not cutting anyone down. There just has not been a process for them in their church to do this. And what we've heard from quite a few 
pastors even is it's fearful because they don't want to cause divide in their church. But what I think this is doing is allowing people to have a conversation and you 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 do have to be a good moderator and you do have to ask people to have respect and you do have to tell people in this room we're coming from different places i i we do say in the leader guide to make sure that you realize that you will have people in your room that have never told you they have a gay son or daughter they've, they've never told you these stories of their own and they're coming so you have to provide a very safe environment it has to be uh, to where people can feel like they're not going to be damaged. So yes, you have to do, and Rob is very clear on the video, helping people know that. But when the discussions happen, it is an open opportunity to try out your thinking with one of your other church goers beside you, reacting and, and talking back and forth and ideas and new thoughts and, and tolerance or, you know, a lot of things happen in those discussions that people have never had before. And hopefully people can experience some actual grace in the midst Absolutely. of a topic that elicits a lot of harsh reactions. Mm-hmm. You know, one of our precepts of United Methodists is to, uh, you know, do no harm and to do all the good you can. And unfortunately in this area, you know, some harm has been done, you know, mm-hmm. let's be honest about it. So perhaps as you're describing the resource, the format is such that it can be, these designed to be non-judgmental and hope to process things and discuss things that have been not discussed. Yeah, one of the things I'm most thankful for and proud of about the resources, we've had feedback from people who have had a room of people with very mixed opinions walking in the room. Mm -hmm. Both extremes in the middle, a huge diversity of what people are walking in with. And, and likely they been, came in with their their uh, objectives or their situations pretty set in the I'd say mind. their arms up a little bit, yeah, too. Yeah, right. And the resource has proven to be beautiful. They have realized that there's more to this than what they knew. And they can, even if they don't agree with their neighbor, they can learn how their neighbor could think that way. Mm-hmm. And that is a powerful thing. It just mm-hmm. it, it just provides some some understanding of even though I'm not quite there, okay, I can see why someone else could think that way. And that's a start. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would I would add to that and just say that in this resource we tried to replicate what happened in the room here at the church okay. as yeah. people at tables. So you kinda of had your own focus group talk and listen uh-huh. and kept the sense of humanity in the conversation, mm-hmm. which I think we, few of us even realize anymore how much we have been shaped by the discourse on news shows. Yes. We don't we don't discuss Every night, you turn on the news, and what goes on? We're going to put a person who holds this opinion and a person who holds this opinion, and they're going to fire each other. And they're not even in the same room at the same time. They're on camera from two locations, and they're just going at each other. And that begins to get inside of us. So when you and I are sitting across the table from each other, well, I'm going to sit here and let you have your peace. But now I'm going to, well, but this, and I'm giving my opinion, well... There was an environment. We kept the humanity in it. You know, yeah. be respectful that there are people for whom this topic is deeply wounding. And let's do what Wesley said. Super, do no harm. Super sensitive. Yeah. Uh, Dan Gangler, you are a communicator by your profession, right. by your by your trade, uh, print medium, electronic medium, and all kinds of other ways. What are some of your thoughts about how we can put an understandable message along, uh, such as been provided to us by the Faithful Inclusive Resource, into the hands of pastors, local church folks, lay leaders, folks in communities who need this. What are some of your thoughts on how we can communicate these messages better? Let's, let's face it, there are some very complex messages that we need to find a way to communicate clearly. Just some, some of your thoughts on the that. The first is a reviewer. I, I saw the, the DVD and saw its excellence. It's a time, it allows for discussions. It's not a straight-on lecture, but allows time for discussion two and three times during the whole 50-minute section. Um, And then the testimonies. They chose 11 people to be on screen, just telling from their souls what it was to be uh, a gay, a lesbian, or the parents 
of an LGBTQ person. Um, I'll just, by experience, um, at our church, we put up a, a six-week study series during Sunday school hour, told people, just six weeks, open invitation. We had 20 people that, that came. Uh, about 12 of them stuck with the whole six weeks. And it was, the interaction was tremendous. One, most of these people didn't know each other because they didn't come because it was the men's group or the women's group. They came because of the topic. Uh, and they had interactions. And then afterwards, uh, they wanted a seventh week mm. to do more discussion. Mm. So wow. we did a seventh week, and out of the seventh week uh, came three of us, got together, and said, we think we've got a, a grounding for a discussion group ongoing oh, once a month. So we okay. decided, well, we'll put up the banner again see if anybody shows up, yeah. uh, held a meeting after church, and we were hoping maybe three or four people at least would show up, and 20 came. Wow. Mm. These 20 people in this congregation didn't know each other, mm -hmm. but they had the same common, and many of them had experienced the harm done to LGBTQ people, uh, not in their congregation per se, but in, in the city they lived in. Sure. And it was real, and it was painful. Uh, one woman uh, talked about uh, her children uh, and, and the experience that they were going through uh, having a homosexual child in the house that just finally said, I'm not going back to church. I've had it. I, I don't like the discourse. Uh, people I don't think are open to me, and I feel uncomfortable. So mm -hmm. th they came to realize how do we make our congregation more opening and affirming of all people. Hence the inclusive piece that we've been talking about. That's the inclusiveness <laughs> of it. In fact, the, the group, we, we bench-named it uh, Faithful Inclusive uh, Committee or Faithful Inclusive Community. Uh, as a starter awesome. group, and we'll be meeting once a month. Awesome. Um, so I can, it can be used in men's groups. It can be used in women's groups. Uh, it can be used uh, in a retreat setting. Anytime you have six hours of time that you want to divide, or if you want to do a weekend, mm -hmm. it, it has the uh, a capability of, of Doing, being done on, on many types of locations, yeah. many types of, of places. Well, I think what you touched on there, Dan, I want to get some more feedback from uh, Robin Susan, is the testimonial piece has to do with life transformation. You know, yes. You've experienced that. You've shared, shared that experience that happened in your own congregation. And really, I'd be interested, you know, Robin Susan, your observations about life transformation that took place in your own congregation. You mentioned the 300 folks who initially came to the first sessions, but also a huge part of this resource is uh, is a testimonial. So, Susan, would you share a minute about some of the testimonials that took place on the resource or other experiences you may have had here at St. Luke's regarding these transformations? Well, I think it's really important to um, hear from people who have been lifelong United Methodists, who are LGBTQ, and very much want to be part of the United Methodist Church and to know their stories. But what I've come to know is I'm kind of unusual to know so many people in that category, if you want to put them in one, and know their stories. And what I realized is there are so many people that have never actually talked to someone that is a gay or lesbian person about that. They, they don't even really know if they know anybody. And that makes it, that, may, that doesn't put a face to this. And what we found happened in our situation was by having these testimonies, the people in our church know these people and they're thinking, oh, that's my friend. I, I like my friend. And somehow like one man told me he he came in 
pretty, pretty far on the conservative side. And he said, you know, I just love all these people. They're just my friends. And so there's something about knowing people and hearing stories. And we were fortunate to have people that would be that vulnerable. I will say it was scary for them to get up in front of 300 people for the first time and share their stories. Mm-hmm. But it was, I think, the game changer of the class. Well, powerful piece of resource as well. And Rob, maybe pick out one story, maybe one or two stories from either the testimonies that were on, on the video or some of those you experienced. I'd like to hear something kind of specific about a life change that you saw happen. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do that fairly, but there are several that I think are very powerful. Matt Bays, who's our director of contemporary worship, speaks in the very first session um, about his, his experience of coming to understand at a young age as a boy that he could tell he was just different. And his love for God, deeply ingrained in what I think most people would say is a very conservative church upbringing, where he was taught to love God passionately, and trying to live out that expectation through his Christian life. Well, if I just get married, maybe this will go away. And, and several children later, in a marriage of 20-plus years, he realized, you know, I've been living a lie. I'm not, I'm not honoring anybody in all of this. And he didn't let go of his desire to love God and to be faithful to who he is. So I think a story like that is very compelling. Um, a story like Vince Vita sharing as a heterosexual person, very committed to obeying the Bible and Scripture and being faithful, but then doing the hard work of wrestling with how do I hold that together with my gay friends who seem to love God as much as I do and should have a rightful place in the church and doing that work to come to a decision of holding on to Scripture, not tossing the Bible out the window, and saying, I believe God loves these people equally the same. And then, of course, Susan's sister, Sarah, is is just, um, you know, Bring your Kleenex on session five <laughs> because her testimony is so powerful. So people who watch the DVD don't know these folks. The reason I'm proud of it is because everybody in there has a faith testimony. Yes. That is so important. Yeah, and that's key. It's not just I was hurt by this situation Bingo, right? and I'm trying to figure Man, a way to sort it out. Love it God is a adamantly. faith yeah. response, yeah. faithful and exclusive. So we are the church of Jesus Christ, and we are meant to be here for the transformation of the world. That starts with us, yes. our local churches here with us, and how we do that one faithfully of, to one another. One of my gay friends said to me, I'm tired of being an issue yeah. in the United Methodist Church. I'm not an issue. I'm a person. Yeah. Yeah. But you've seen the hurt happen. I know, Dan, you're part of the Reconciling Ministries Network, which has a lot to do with mm-hmm. being an advocacy group for, uh, for gay, lesbian persons and so on. And tell us what, it's, what are some of the things you're experiencing you know, regarding some of the hurts and hopes and dreams that are going on among the folks that you have some connection with there. Well, I think that the biggest hope right now is people wanting to hear the stories. Okay. So in our next session at our church, we're going to have... Uh, a gay couple come in and talk, just talk about their relationship and talk about the, the hurts and the harms that have, they have realized. Uh, they also have uh, adopted sons. And the whole process becomes very difficult when you go into an adoption. Um, even if you're in Indiana now, a married couple, a married gay couple, you have problems. Uh, so it's the reality of most people don't understand, uh, one, that homosexuality isn't a lifestyle. It's the being of people, and they are suffering So that's a, a fundamental of- lack of understanding a lot of folks have that's kind of fundamental to the biblical thing we start off with, and some people just see it as something that's learned behavior. Right. I, I and- don't see myself as... I don't. I never talk about my heterosexual lifestyle. Right. right. But yeah. When did you culture, choose that? <laughs> but, but yeah. But in our culture, we hear this so often 
uh, of that homosexuality as something you choose. Mm-hmm. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. And it's not. It's yeah. it's being. It's who people are. Yeah. yeah. I think when you listen to these testimonies, that's what you get. You you just you're hearing it from people who you know this is who they are. This well, is not. Assume this could be an opportunity using this resource and other things to open up conversations, which may lead to more dynamics within the family, for instance, right. where there's some things that are hidden or not said. And I, everybody's got a story, whether they talk about it or not. Susan, I wonder if you would mind. Sh- I know it's a little bit of part of your story in your family. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that story of transformation with yourself and your family? Sure. Um, One of the things that across the years, so my sister um, really did not, one one great thing about the testimonies is you begin to understand that every person's had a different way of even coming to their own understanding of their own sexuality, and that there are people that have those understandings at young ages, and people that have them later, and so anyway, my sister, who's 13 months younger than I am, uh, really didn't come to the understanding of her own sexuality until she was about 28 years old. Um, but anyway, I I wasn't raised in a judgmental family, but I was certainly in a culture of the late 70s that would say, make fun of gay people. But I, I didn't have some real strong... I mean, there are churches that were telling people terrible things. I didn't have that in my background. I didn't have a judgmental burn in hell type of you know, that. But I did have, an, uh, I did think that must be weird or wrong or something. I, I don't know. I don't even know if I'd ever really talked about it. So me, with my sister told me she was gay, it did kind of jolt me because I just so I had to work on my immediate reaction, which my sister talks about in her testimony. Uh, and over the years, you know, I've just, I chose to learn and to study and to grow, but I always knew that there wasn't a person that was more in love with God and more self-sacrificing mm-hmm. than my sister. She's always challenged. Watching the way she lives her life has been a daily challenge to me from the get-go. When she was her entire life, she was the person that would give anything away, her coat off her back at five years old. She was just always a giver and a servant. And she's been in missions work her whole life. So, you know, there, I couldn't say, well, she must not be Christian because this is, so none of that stuff ever went it's in. It just wouldn't ring true. It just it? wouldn't ring true. So, so, so I, I, I worked through it and it really wasn't that hard because I knew, I knew her. But I think one of the things that was challenging for me that has been asked of me Many, 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 many times is people will come up to me once they know Sarah and they've taken disciple Bible study, which my dad and mom wrote and have said, man, this must be really hard for your family to have your dad write disciple Bible study and have a gay daughter like it's a conflict. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of an assumption about that, wasn't uh there? It was an assumption. You cannot be faithful and inclusive. You can't be faithful to the Bible and inclusive of all people. And that is really why we picked that title. And that is really the strength, the real passion behind this whole thing, besides the church we're serving now, is just to say, you know what, people, would you consider, would you just consider how someone could be faithful to the scriptures and fully inclusive? Even if you can't ship there, would you at least learn how some people can be that way. Yeah. And that's really the goal. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I even uh, read some of the recent writings from, from your father, Bishop Wilkie, about this. And it seems obvious there's, you know, some transformation taking place there as well. And he's got some heat for it, I know. And so it's a, it's a personal matter that we have to be reflected into the local church mm-hmm. because the local church is all about helping people to deal with a very, very personal matter of their personal spirituality and their social relevance to our culture and society. And and how we do that makes a difference. And I'd like to shift our conversation for the last few minutes to the church and to kind of Jesus and the church. You mentioned earlier, Rob, the Jesus ethic that we uh, come to know or is really heavily emphasized in this resource. 
We live in a time when our church is at a point of uh, schism or something is, you know, going to be happening uh, before too long. And I'd like for you to speak a little bit, Rob, if you will, to the situation in our church right now and how a understanding of uh, the Jesus ethic about a re-understanding of, of Scripture can speak to the situation in our church right now, which is at a bit of a crisis point. And, and uh, what's next for our church and how can a resource like this be helpful and bridging some gaps here. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a time when the body of Christ is being wounded. But, you know, when when has that not been the case? Mm. Every generation, the body of Christ is being wounded over something. Um, you know, many times it's wounded over not addressing an issue and, and, and trying to play it safe. So it gets to be a tough day when there are people who say, I cannot stay in communion with you because of an issue. We differ so much. I can't stay in communion with you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just like two people saying we can't stay married anymore. Once you're clear about that, well, then it's about, well, then what's the Christian way to leave and separate? And I think the Bible gives us examples of that. Now, I'm not speaking specifically to the Gospels, but you think about Paul and Barnabas okay. in a separation that actually advanced the cause of Christ in different directions. And for some reason and somehow that we do not know through Scripture, there came a, a reconnection again because they got into an argument over John Mark. Mm-hmm. And Paul was let down by him, and he said, we're not taking him with him. Well, you know, here he's related to Barnabas. <laughs> so Barnabas says, well, then I'll take him with me. As far as we know, Paul and Barnabas never talked again. But Paul and John Mark did. You know, Paul wrote later on to Timothy, bring John Mark with you. He's been helpful to me in my ministry. And who could argue that still the gospel was advanced by all parties? Exactly, exactly. And, and at some point, they came around to advance the gospel together again. Mm-hmm. So who knows what the future could hold? People would have said when the Methodist church split in 1844, this is an awful, terrible, irreparable thing. 1939, they come back together. Now, there were things about that union that was not right. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we work, hopefully progressively, getting it better, getting more right as time goes on. I believe that's the case here. We're at a time when a division is never a positive thing, a separation, and yet God can use it to bless people in spite of ourselves. And who knows how it might bring us back together again at some point. So that's just where we are now. What's, what's the best way that we can separate and do it amicably, and I believe that's what this protocol tries to do. Mm-hmm. And figure out something that everybody says, I'm having to give up a wish, a hope, and a dream here to make this, this work amicably for everybody. I think everybody would have a reason to say, we shouldn't be giving up that. We shouldn't be making that allowance. But everybody's doing that in, sure. this, in this deal. And it's not perfect. Um, but it is a way that can move us forward and get us out of constant fighting and conflict over this. Well, I think it goes to the point I kind of want us to come back around to. Our mission as a church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And it seems like in many ways this fighting we've been doing, this consternation we're involved with, has been a detriment to reaching people for Christ people who have uh, sexual identities that are apart from what, what some people consider the mainstream, people, younger people. Many for this issue of human sexuality, for instance, is a non-issue for my three adult children. <clears throat> it's basically a non-issue. Right. And I think that's basically the case with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of folks, and yet it is for us. And so we have to find a way to come to terms with it, or it will have a continued impact on our local churches and our effectiveness in ministry and transforming uh, the world. I think we've got a much bigger negative impact on the church than our debate on this topic. (laughs) For all the reasons that folks are leaving the church and considering it irrelevant to their lives, we have got to get beyond this matter so that we can address uh, 
the, the real needs of people all around us and how to be the church and rediscover that in this day and time. Our brand has been a bit corrupted by this and other things as well. But I do want to kind of bring us around to kind of a little bit more of a positive uh, note here as we wind this down in the next few minutes, and that is um, it is good to talk about things rather than not to talk about things. And so much of these this conversations either not happened or they've been under the surface or this has not been dealt with. And I think the fact that we now have a resource here that helps us to, to deal with this is a sign of, of hope and possibility. And I just want to ask uh, all, all three of you, starting with you, Dan, what do you see as signs of hope moving forward? What are some good things? What are some good things in our church or in our Christian life where they have come out of this these conversations we've been having, I think it speaks some signs of hope. Well, I see see in a personal way already the DVD series and taking people through the journey that it's going on with a congregation. uh, It's been very positive. It's been very uplifting. Many of these people were thinking, am I the only person in this congregation that feels this way, that we should be open and inclusive of people? And then they come to a, a meeting and find out there are 20 people in that congregation that feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's within the life of the church. If you go into any congregation in Indiana, I'm sure that if they see the series, they will have the same thoughts and people will come together and say, you know, uh, I believe we can be faithful and inclusive. So I, this is very positive, and I see it as a positive move, and I see God working in the lives of people in, in maybe not transforming their lives on this particular issue, but they're open and, and more visible in how they see their Christianity in realms and relationships with other people. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Susan, I'm going to ask you the same thing. Out of this experience or anything else you're going through, either here in your local church or in your life, what are you seeing as signs of hopes? What are possibilities that are out there? Well, I do the mailings of the DVDs, and I'm amazed. They're from California. They'll be Alaska. They'll be New York. They'll be Florida. They'll be Oklahoma and Alabama. And it just seems as though people all over the nation do want to learn and uh, one of the comments I've heard from quite a few pastors is that it's a pretty, it takes a lot of study to present this issue. Yes. And that they are so thankful that they don't have to do all the research to mm-hmm. do it because you can be a little bit fearful that you are going to say a term wrong or make a mistake because it's a pretty volatile issue. But they have really appreciated that basically they put in the DVD and the lectures there to be given, and they just need to facilitate a discussion. And they don't even have to put their own selves on the line, which I wasn't all that aware of that. But what I have, what I have heard from several is that in their own church, they haven't wanted to bring up this issue because they were afraid of... of sharing their own personal thoughts and feelings and a lot of divisiveness and that by putting on the DVD, they're just facilitating. Mm-hmm. And so the hope... Well, they're, I, they're fear of their livelihood in many cases. It is. There's like, I don't think anyone in my church feels like I do, so I'm not about to get up there and say all this stuff. But they put this DVD in and everyone can slam the guy on the DVD. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, Rob's fault. But I mean, and I, bet, I bet a few of them do too. So when you say the hope, I feel what I think is hopeful is when people can start talking and have a conversation and listen and learn. In any subject in my life, when I get more education about it, 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 it is better. And so I feel hopeful that this resource and other things that are coming out will help people be more educated and, and learn themselves and talk amongst each other so that we can we can move forward. And I just think we've got to provide that for yeah. people. Resource to help us move forward. That's such an yeah. important piece because mm-hmm. it seems like we've been kind of stuck for a while. And we yeah. haven't wanted to talk about it. Yeah, and this gives us a way of doing it. And, there's, mm-hmm. and it's a safe way. It's safe. 
you know, you're really not putting yourself on the line to put in somebody else on a DVD. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, Rod, since you're the guy on the DVD, what are you hearing? What are some signs of hope? What are some of the reactions you're getting from people that are out there that are encouraging to you? Maybe a few mm-hmm. that are, you know, mm-hmm. difficult as well. But what are some of the reactions you're getting? Maybe a little less vitriolic um, banter right now. You know, it, it's kind of like it, it, everybody seems to be very clear that a separation is needed. And, and, and I think a year ago, we weren't there. I wasn't there. I was still holding on to this idea yeah. that we could actually figure out a way for everyone to stay together and yet hold on to our different views. Um, and so now that we're at a place going, no... That's not going to happen. And we're clear that we're going to separate. It just seems like people are laying down their swords. Uh, You know, in a home where the parents are still married and no one has said, okay, we're going to get a divorce. It's like the fighting continues. But once once you're clear that you're separating, well, why do you need to fight? Unless now the fighting is going to turn to who gets what. And I would hope what we will hold on to is a spirit of blessing. We were blessed to bless. And if we will keep our identity strong, that our fundamental calling is to be a blessing to others, that right now, whatever side you're on in the church, if you'll say, my job is to bless, how can we bless each other? We'll get through this without killing one another. And, and we'll do it in a way that, that all uh, expressions of future post-separation United Methodism can be healthy and strong. And we can support each other. So that's my my sense of hope, and it, of course, is my personal hope for what we do going forward. So there's a lot that is building up toward this general conference. I believe if we hold on to a spirit of blessing, we will come out of this blessed. Yeah. And to me, that spirit of blessing means to adhere to grace. Yep. You know, just... Uh, just stick to the primacy of grace, and that would be my sensibility about uh, this resource and other things that can be out there to help us to regain a sense of grace in the midst of some challenging times. And uh, so, I just want to um, say a word of thanks to you, Rob, and to you, Susan, for creating this resource. Big Dad would join me. This is some powerful resource, isn't it? Yes. And uh, very in-depth biblical scholarship very well researched and done in such a way especially the testimonials that make it very personal as well and I think it's it's been helpful to me reviewing it and I've shared it with some others and planning to doing it in my own local church setting as well and I just want to thank you well, for, thank you and that's very kind for, for that so tell us uh, Susan tell us how people can uh, get a hold of this resource well I think you can google faithful and inclusive and it'll pop up uh, I think at the end of this podcast they can go and find the exact link. Then go to unitedmethodistpodcast.com and uh, find a link there in the show notes. Or, of course, it's also carried at Cokesbury. And also at Cokesbury, you can buy it uh, session by session to stream if you want that capability. So there's so. many options. People should have the availability of get this resource and get it in places where it needs to go. As Dan was sharing, it can be an effective resource to communicate this issue mm-hmm. in a concise manner. It is published by the Institute for Discipleship, which um, is who the Institute, Disciple, Institute for Discipleship.org is, is who's publishing it. And on that website, you can find clips and testimonies and additional resources and one of the things about the pricing of this resource is it's the leader guide the free class handouts and six 50-minute sessions of dvd for 39.99 which is awesome that's a really great price for this much resource so that's great we've tried to we've tried to do that so that everybody could get it that wanted it well again thank you for providing this resource and hopefully helpful to the next steps in our journey as a church, United Methodist Church, or however it evolves out to be, it can be a step in our journey to indeed uh, approach this matter as faithful and inclusive people. And the name of the resource is, again, Faithful and Inclusive, the Bible, Sexuality, and the United Methodist Church, created by Rob Fuquay and Susan Fuquay. And uh, we're glad to have both Rob and Susan, as well as Dan Gangler, as our guests today 
on the United Methodist People podcast. And I do like to end with some words by John Wesley and to share this because I think they're pertinent words to us. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, and all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Thanks again to Rob Fuquay, Susan Wilkie Fuquay, and Dan Gangler for joining me, Brad Miller, in this episode 21 of the United Methodist People podcast. In preparation for this conversation, I viewed all six lessons of Faithful and Inclusive, the Bible, Sexuality, and the United Methodist Church. Let me make these three observations. The depth, number one, the depth of biblical scholarship was impressive. There is seminary caliber training in this resource framed in a language and a process which is relatable and understandable by every layperson. Number two, the power of the testimonials was transformational. The stories on the videos from the people from St. Luke's United Methodist Church who are impacted by this matter of the controversies over human sexuality in the church touched my heart because I believe they are repeated in the experiences of so many of our churches and clergy. Number three, the resource is fair. There are those who will criticize Rob for taking a progressive view in producing this resource. From my standpoint, each lesson brought plenty to process from both a progressive and traditionalist standpoint. But the most important aspect was that there was a process to follow, a process to work out your own theology through open-ended questions which were posed in the lessons. Having said this, I endorse faithful and and inclusive the Bible, sexuality, and the United Methodist Church as an important resource which can be helpful to your church and your ministry to gain clarity and discernment about understanding biblical matters which our church is facing at this time. I'll be using it, I know that. You can pick up Faithful and Inclusive at cokesbury.com and at instituteforediscipleship.org. Links and a complete transcript of the interview are posted in our show notes at unitedmethodistpodcast.com slash 21. The United Methodist People podcast is produced by Reverend Dr. Brad Miller and is presented as a resource to help United Methodist people fulfill our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Until next time, good people, this is Brad Miller encouraging you to keep your three simple rules. Do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. And always do all the good you can.